Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tudor Gander Podcast. We have a special guest here, Sheldon Massey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Cryptic Commander. Uh, we are your hosts. I am Matthew Province. I'm Isaac R.G. And today we have with us a special guest who we've had on here before, one of my favorite people in the world. Sorry, Isaac. We got MTG Peddler. How hey. dare you? I'm your best oh, man. friend. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting trouble, and I've been here for two seconds. This is not going to go well today, I feel. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, sorry, Isaac. I'm going to have to leave you for MTG Peddler. Uh, <laughs> uh, but going uh, right into this, uh, we're, going right, <laughs> we're going right into our card of the week. Uh, Isaac and I were looking through cards, and I know Isaac loves black. I love black. So we 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 were you know pressing the random button on Gatherer. Have you ever just sat down and pressed that random button, Peddler? I have. It's fun to do. Yes. Um, so that's actually how I find the card of the week every week. In case people didn't know, I just sit here for like five minutes pressing the random button until I find a card that I like. Uh, so we chose Infinite Obliteration, which is one colorless, two black, from Magic Origins. It is a sorcery. Uh, you name a creature card. Uh, you search target opponent's graveyard, hand, and library for any number of cards with that name, and then you exile them. Then that player shuffles his or her library. So it's just really good removal for getting rid of everybody's Amrakuls. Um Very, uh, very solid, honestly. Yeah, I know. Uh, I don't know what the price of this card is. Uh, I'm actually going to look it up really quick. It is what actually else? very cheap. Uh, you can get it foil for a buck fifty. Really? Oh, you just you looked it up? Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Okay. We found somebody that types faster than me. It's a miracle. But yeah, no. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on it, just in general? Um, Hold on. I'm pulling it up on my screen here. Here we are. Well, first of all, um, it kind of reminds me of that one black card that costs one Phyrexian black. That's very popular in Legacy. Oh, Spinal something or other? Spinal, uh, yeah, that card. Um, You can look up the name, but that's the card I'm thinking of. Um, Not as powerful, obviously, but... Oh, Surgical um, Extraction. Yeah, Surgical Extraction. That's the name I was thinking of. And the art, because that art is pretty creepy. It looks Um, like Mortal Kombat art. It's really cool art. Yeah, I I love Mortal Kombat, just a tidbit about me. I'm a really big fan. Anyway, back to <laughs> obliteration. Um, yeah, I think for like, I'd say this fits well in commander and maybe some modern decks, um, especially if you're running hard mono black. Where if if you're in mono black, you don't have your traditional Orzhov removal like English Unmaking or uh, Other End. So you really need more options like infinite obliteration or surgical extraction or damnation, that kind of thing, to get rid of not just what's on the field, but potentially what could be on the field but is still in your opponent's decks. And I think something like this is really good for those situations. All right, so now, to jump on that same page, it kind of reminded me when I'm reading about this card uh, of Maelstrom Pulse. It's like a more powerful Maelstrom Pulse. Oh, Yeah. No, I, but I like the fact that you know it's it's going to, it's going graveyard, it's going hand and library, so it's it's way stronger than Maelstrom Pulse. 
Yeah, no, it's a really good card. I honestly forgot it existed until I randomized, you know, found this card today. Uh, I might uh, put it, might throw it in the deck. I kind of like it. Uh, and moving on to our next page, uh, we had somebody that wanted us to talk about Commander Legends budget cards as your commanders is what I took the question as. Uh, so Isaac and I, uh, and Peddler, you're welcome to join in with us as well. Uh, we found partner commanders that are at least somewhat budget um, based on what our definitions of budget are. Remember, your definition of budget is going to be different than somebody else's. Uh, so it's really hard to you know figure out exactly what exactly budget is, but I went with the cheapest thing possible. Uh, I took uh, one of my new newest favorite cards, which is Rograk, son of Roga. Probably saying that wrong. Uh, which is a zero mana zero one, which has first strike, minister trample, and of course partner. Uh, its flavor text says strength is relative. I love that flavor text. And then its partner is Ketus Embercloth Familiar, which is one colorless, one red. And whenever a commander you control deals combat damage to an opponent, it deals that much damage to each other opponent. Also with partner and is a one one. Flavor text is Ketus loves molten metal, Syrian flames, and head scratches. It's a lizard, so it's like I guess it's supposed to be a pet or something. Um, what I really like, uh, so with Ketus plus Rograk, uh, you're really going to be playing a lot of that Voltron stuff, right? putting out a bunch of equipments, um, beefing up Rograk, and swinging out as early as you can with as much as you can, and then using Ketus uh, in a multiplayer game, you hit one person, it hits everybody else. Uh, so it's a really good way to just Voltron and kill all your opponents. Uh, you know, you can maybe even do it in one hit if you're able to pull it off right. Uh, so it can be a very, very powerful combination there. Um, but you could also turn it into more of a casual deck uh, where you just have like lower level equipments. Uh, you're just playing some, a little bit of burn, maybe some doing some janky stuff with it. Uh, either way, it's probably my newest favorite combination for Commander uh, from Commander Legends and is definitely very budget. These two cards together are, I think, less than $2. So uh, very excited to play this eventually. I uh, definitely love it. Uh, it, it's like it's it's like how we, it's like someone at uh watsi's r d was like how can we make uh mono red even faster yeah <laughs> it's not fast enough for our taste let's let's find a, a combo that's gonna make it even faster oh there we go perfect yeah no uh no i completely no i can see that just like all right guys so mono red isn't fast enough how can we kill somebody on turn zero with a cobalt warrior oh Let's make a zero mana commander. Uh, but yeah, no, the, I, I, I love these little dudes. They're awesome. Uh, Isaac, how about you? Well, um, <laughs> I had to do a bit more searching because my definition of budget is, um, well, not exactly budget. So um, <laughs> my combination that I found, uh, it's Simic, Simic, however you pronounce that. It's Galandra Collar of Wirewood and Brynlin the Moon Kraken. Uh, the, the Galandra is two and a green for one, two Elf Druid, uh, which is tapped add green. When you spend this mana to cast a spell with converted mana cost six or greater, you draw a card. And the uh, flavor text is something mighty serves in the forest. Can't you feel it? Uh, Brynlin is six and double blue for six, eight Kraken. When Brynlin enters battlefield, or whenever you cast a spell with converted mana cost six or greater, you may return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. So 
you know, the combination here is kind of a slow cyclonic rift, but if you can control how much you put out onto the field over the course of the game, it's really good for if you're a control player. Um, when I think of control, I think of Zorius because, oh boy, I've been really, I have a personal vendetta against Azorius decks, uh, particularly Grand Augustus. But well, um, uh, I remember my Azorius commander deck was the first commander deck you ever played against. Well, then, yeah, that explains everything. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, a lot. Uh, so basically, aside from controlling your opponent's boards, it's also about casting really big creatures and spells. Um, another way, I think, what looks like here, I think another uh, possible uh, t technique or like, a, you know, a shining... A, a part of the deck um, could be Cascade, because since you have a lot of uh, high converted mana cost cards, that could really play into your strategy. I know I can see, um, I'm clicking on the deck list here, the that new Hydra that came out in Commander Legends. The Apex think, Devastator. Yes, it's the Apex oh, Devastator. Cascade, 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 Cascade. <laughs> Quadruple Cascade. That is terrifying yeah. and you know that's on top of being a 10 10 but um yeah that that's the deck that i went with let me let me tell you you, you had me at cascade and cascade is my favorite mechanic that that magic has ever made i, I loved jund back in the day and man cascading is just so much fun and so powerful yeah no it definitely can be uh, a lot of people, when they're building Cascade decks, uh, <laughs> one of their main things, uh, one of the main mistakes that I notice when people are building Cascade decks is people just throw in a bunch of big stuff because that's what they expect to come out. And then they play a big Cascade card, and then they just go into, like, the Mana Rock instead. Uh, yeah. One of the biggest strategies is manipulating the top of your deck so that Cascade works properly, um, which is not, uh, not wrong. there for people that play Cascade. Now, I know we're talking about budget cards for that are generally for like com actual commanders, but one yeah. that I wanted to touch on real fast before we go on to the next topic, three visits. I mean, three visits. It's, it's one in a green, yeah. sorcery, search your library for a forest card, put that card onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. And flavor text is, those who love the woods only wish to spread its majesty. First off, it's a beautiful sentence. That, that is just a beautiful, beautiful flavor text. But that card was only printed in Portal in Portal 3K. It's still like an $80, $90 card. And it's back again in Commander Legends. And it's, it's four bucks. It's three, well, four bucks. I, I, I love slash hate that because, um, like I mentioned this before in a previous episode, uh, I am primarily an Alesha Commander player. And so for a very long time, before it was reprinted in Masters 25, I had my eye on Imperial Recruiter and it was only in Portal 3 Kingdoms. And before it was reprinted, it was at the cheapest, about $200. And then when it was reprinted, it was like 75 and then it went down to 50 And then now it's like maybe $30 at the most. So it's like, you know, it, 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 sometimes it's unpredictable 
when things will get reprinted, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you, you got to take chances at some point. As you, there's always that risk that, you know, you're going to buy something and then six months later, it's going to be reprinted and it's going to drop 50%. But even, but even with three visits, the Portal 3K has not dropped that much, that version. I don't believe, not, not, not like the, uh, the other car you were just talking about, um, the Imperial Recruiter. Um, it, it's still holding its value at, you know, the original printing. Yeah. Well, I think part of that is just Portal 3K. Um, it's just there's not a lot of those cards around. Uh, kind of like with, you know, Alpha, Beta, uh, the Dark, um, Arabian Nights, like all, yeah, reserve those, list. all the reserve list stuff. Yeah, all the reserve list stuff. Um, there's just not a lot of those around. And so they're sought after, and then that raises the price of them, of course. And then they reprint it. Um, the reason that the old doesn't go up is because, well, it's so old. Um, and the people, they, there's the collectible aspect to it, right? When they reprint a card, the newer version of that is not as collectible as the older version is. And so when you have a set like Portal 3 Kingdoms, uh, that was that's a very collectible set, and there's still not very many of those cards around, um, it's just not going to affect the value that much if it's if a card like Three Business is reprinted once. If it's reprinted again and again and again, then that's when the value will probably start dropping a decent amount. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and I do want to mention on Brineland, the Moon Kraken, they missed a very good opportunity to put in the flavor text. It has been released. Um, just saying, that would have been a great opportunity. Uh, moving on to our next topic, uh, we have our movers and shakers. I like to do the top three and just uh, go over more what's going on with these. Uh, so uh, number three is Stitch in Time, which I, I'm kind of surprised that... At it going up, um, it's it's been around for a while. It's one colorless, one blue, one red. Uh, sorcery. Uh, you flip a coin. If you win the flip, you take an extra turn after this one. Uh, I don't know how to say the name. It was like Kuzel was told by his mentor to make more time for his studies. Um, I probably you know said that terribly. Uh, but it started going up um, just before the twentieth is when it really started rising. And right now, it's up by 78.23% from the November 20th mark. And we are currently at $5.65, about. This, this is a card that I'm definitely more surprised that it's going up in value. It looks like there is a card from Commander Legends that is the reason why this is going up. Uh, here, let me is it Crark? Crark the yeah. Thumbless? Yeah, Crark the Thumbless. I was about to say that. Yep. Whenever you cast an insert or sorcery spell, flip a coin. If you lose the flip, return that spell to his owner's hand. If you win the flip, copy that spell, and you may choose new targets for the copy. Uh, so I guess now I can see why uh, it's gone up. Because uh, no matter what, you still get value. It's returned to your hand, um, and then you can just play it until you win it. Um, and then you copy it, right? So it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Yeah, not bad at all. You could say that. <laughs> uh, I'll, take, I'll take two extra turns, please. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, can I can I please have more? Uh, Isaac, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I have none. I think he <laughs> basically said everything that I was going to say because, you know, I, I, I'm still not totally, uh, like, refreshed on Magic after being out of the loop for about two and a half years. But, um. Yeah, I, I'm. And then right, well, you just, just uh, 
then you just use your lithoform engine and you copy it again. Ugh, that's gross. Don't don't tell people that. Don't <laughs> for only two that. extra mana. Ugh. Yeah, and then there's like the rings of bright hearth, right? And then yeah, ring, like yeah, that. rings copies abilities too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you can use the rings to copy the lithoform. Oh yeah, that's, that too. Um, I should stop talking before people start playing that against me. Um, too late. <laughs> uh, the number two we have tectonic instability right, that is a two colorless one red enchantment that whenever a land comes into play tap all lands its controller controls oh that is gross it is up 133.33% since right before that November 20th mark as well um, so must be a card that people have looked at um, that seat's going up, up like I said up 133% to $6.44 currently uh, as we speak today. And then it looks like it combos with uh, Citadel of Pain and Tectonic, uh, yes, Citadel of Pain, which is from Prophecy, uh, which is also an enchantment that at the end of each player's turn, Citadel of Pain deals X damage to that player where X is the number of untapped lands he or she controls. Wow. That is harsh. <laughs> so nasty. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's pretty brutal. Yeah, just a little bit, buddy. Um, yeah, I'm going to just move on. Um, John, why do you have me doing this section from giving people all these combo ideas? Um, and then number one, uh, sorry, wrong John people. There's two Johns, and I confused them. We have John, who's MTG Peddler, and then John, who's out today, uh, Isaac is subbing for. Uh, <laughs> and number one, we have Cedrus, the Trader King, who is up by 460.92%. Uh, wow. which is recently what started going up uh, November 18th, November 20th area again. It was originally at about $5, and now we have it at $27.99. And that card combos off with Obeka, uh, from Commander Legends, Obeka Brute Chronologist, which is one colorless, one blue, one black, one red, and you tap it, and the player whose turn it is may end the turn. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I read off. Uh, Cedrus. Cedrus uh, is each creature card in your graveyard has Unearth. Uh, Unearth is uh, for Cedrus is two colorless, one black. You return the card to play. That creature gains haste, and then you remove it from the game at the end of turn. So basically, what you're doing is unearthing that card and then ending that turn, so that end of turn effect doesn't go off. Um, so you have that creature, and it doesn't sack at the end of turn. So that's Yuck. So <laughs> Man, that is nasty stuff. I kind of like it though. Uh, except for its price mark. I don't want to spend $28 on Cedrus. <laughs> if it had partner and you could partner it with uh, Obeka, then I definitely would, but it's not worth it without the partner. Uh, unless you, you know, are just going to go full, full, full throttle and just put in a bunch of tutors in your deck. Uh, Isaac, what do you think about that? I love putting a bunch of tutors in my deck. No, no, about the Cedrus. <laughs> I know you oh. love tutors, but what about Cedrus? Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I well, time back to what I just said. Um, I, I'm a graveyard player. That's primarily like my main strategy. So uh, he, he, right? Cedrus? Cedrus? Yeah, it's a king, so I'm guessing. It looks okay. like a he. But, yeah, a traitor king, uh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, he'd be, he'd definitely be a commander that I'd be interested in. Um, I haven't played with Unearth that much. I know I have played with persist a lot as Matt knows very well in my deck but um yeah 
I, I think if you build around him uh, carefully, he would be very uh, tough to beat. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, do you have any input, uh, John? I'm just looking at this card, and I'm like, man, that's gross. I can only, I can only imagine the type of shenanigans that can go on with this, especially in that um, color wedge that it's in, the blue, black, red. Oh, yep. You know, that's really gross. Oh. <laughs> All right. Now we're moving on to the next section, which is the top decks. Uh, so first we have Standard, uh, which is a Gruel Adventure. Surprise, surprise. Demure Rogues is catching up. Uh, for Modern, we have uh, uh, Red, White, Burn. The Boros Burn, I don't know why I couldn't think of that off the top of my head with Jund catching up behind that. I mean... Okay, I'm just going to say really quick the price points behind these, like the giant price difference. So the average price for this Boros competitive deck is $411. The average price for this Jund deck is $1,186. So that, that's cute. I know, right? Uh, moving on to Legacy, we got Omnitel at the top still, and then followed up by Death and Taxes, uh, just by 0.1%. Pretty insane. And then we have Vintage, which I was actually playing this morning on Cockatrice. I built this disgusting... Uh, well, I wasn't really playing Vintage. We were playing Casual. So we were playing all these banned cards and stuff. Uh, I was playing Amrakul, uh, where I would uh, cheat it out with Flash turn one. Uh, it was Academy Rector. So I would Academy Rector, search for Omniscience, put Omniscience into play, and then just play Amrakul turn one. Um, which is really gross. But I love That's it. It's pretty bad. <laughs> calm down, Satan. What? I said, calm down, Satan. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, for Vintage, we have Jace Storm and then followed up by Mud Stacks. Uh, I mean, I don't like playing against Stacks. Do you guys like playing against Stacks? I, I, I've, never, I've never had the pleasure, so I can't say. Well, it's definitely not a pleasure. Um, <laughs> for uh, Historic, uh, we have four-color mid-range. Uh, <laughs> And then goblins after that. Yeah, goblins is going to be top and historic for a while. And then we got Popper, uh, Stompy, Green Stompy, uh, at $46 because it's Popper. Heck yeah. I'm going to start getting into, into Popper once, you know, things in this world start coming down and we, uh, you know, it's safer to go out again. I definitely want to get into Popper because I love just building a bunch of decks and playing them. So if I can have like a set, like 20, 30 decks that are all like, 40 bucks each that i'd be very happy uh, yeah, i like it, it. It's, it's very it's a very friendly price point when you're just dealing with commons for the most part there are expensive commons out there but you know what I mean. yeah yeah and i mean the, the most expensive deck i can find right now in top popper is elves and you'd expect elves to be really expensive <laughs> mm -hmm. all right now moving on from popper we got commander timna the weaver same as always with Thrasios following up behind. I'm pretty sure those are partners. And we got Highlander, which is four colors. We got green, black, white, and red, and then mono red. Okay, another amazing part about the price point here, this four color deck is $3,157, with the red deck following up as 436. <laughs> I'm just gonna go to the ATM real fast, don't mind me. <laughs> uh, and then we got in Pioneer, we got mono black, uh, and then we got spirits after that. We got blue, green, white spirits after that. And those price points are actually very similar. $288 for the model black, $283 for the spirits. 
Uh, and that's all our top decks. I'm not I'm not surprised with any of them. I see them staying the same for a while, right? Uh, anything you guys want to add for any of those decks? Nope. Yeah, I, I don't really have any. It, it seems like that the what you mentioned all seem like they would be the competitive decks that are rocking out yeah. right now with the the state of where the state of Magic where it's at right now. That's, that sounds right. Sorry, I was yawning. I completely agree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know. I am. I am quite boring. It's okay. You want all you want. Uh, well, you know, I'm not going to say anything about that. But you know, it's all good. <laughs> boring man. You know, I'm not. I'm subscribed to your YouTube channel. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, it's, it's it's great for if you can't sleep, just pop on one of my videos and just. just it's like a lullaby. It just lulls your right to sleep. Yeah, I mean, if you have a beautiful voice, and why not? Like with other John. Uh, I mean, everybody says they love his voice, and it's very calming and soothing. Hey, so. I, I, I want my viewers to fall asleep because then, then they don't shut off the video. It just keeps playing. Yeah, that so hours yeah, get, 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 get more watch time. Exactly. Hitting that, what is what is that, 4,000 hours of watch time you're supposed to get? 4,000 hours is so much time. Like I was actually um, talking about this on someone's live stream uh, yesterday, actually. it's it, When you think about it, 4,000 hours sounds like a lot, but when you break it down the minutes, it's it's 240,000 minutes of watch time. It's like, oh my gosh, that's so much. I'm making 10-minute long videos. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's insane. Yeah, that's why it takes forever. Most people who try to get their channel monetized on YouTube end up failing their first year because they're built, still building. But the second year, they're usually able to get it um, because then they're able to build that 4,000 hours. Yeah, the, the hours is definitely the hardest part. Yeah. Subscribers isn't that hard as long as you keep you know pushing out content and shove it in people's faces on Facebook. Um, that tends to work pretty well. Uh, and we had one of our listeners wanted us to talk about the economy within Arena. I'm not entirely sure like exactly what they wanted us to say about the economy in Arena. Uh, so I'll let Hedler talk first about this. Um, just... Go ahead and I'll, I'll go off of you because I have no idea what I would say. I mean, I, I could start this off by saying I'm probably one of the worst people to talk about the economy <laughs> on on Arena because I play it very, very sparingly. It's usually if I'm bored and I don't feel like, you know, listing stuff on you, on uh, eBay or I'm just doing nothing. I'll just pop on for a little bit. And I, I don't pay to play there. So I, I don't even know, like, the pricing schedules. I don't know what the stuff actually gets you when you pay for it. I know you can pay to draft and stuff like that, but yeah. I, I just I don't know like what you benefit from throwing money into arena. I'd rather throw it into physical cards. Yeah, is, is my is my take on it. Like yeah. anything, like it's different than with MTGO. At least with uh, MTGO, you can accrue an entire set and then cash that set in, and you get the physical card. So at least it feels like your money's going somewhere. But with Arena, it's like I, I I don't want flashy sleeves on my non-existent Magic cards. I I, I I'm I'm not spending my money there. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's my that. that's my take on it. Yeah, no, I understand that. I don't I, I play Arena sparingly as well. But I think what this person was wanting us to talk about was like go into depth about the effects of the Arena economy on the paper economy. Um, and I guess this is where I would go in because this is my thing. Okay. Uh, so. Uh, I think the first thing that I'd say is that the the paper economy does interact with the digital economy, no matter what you know other people like to say. They do interact, um, but it's in a way that it doesn't really affect things negatively one way or another. I can't. I haven't really been able to see any types of negative effects one way or the other. If anything, um, people being introduced to arena 
ended up sparking their interest to start playing paper and vice versa. So that's one of the things I see. And I know that uh, one of Watsi's missions was to have Arena as an easy way to learn how to play Magic as kind of a stepping stone to getting those paper cards, if that makes sense, right? Yeah, because I was actually, now that now you explained it in that sense, I'm like, oh, I, I now I see what we're supposed to talk about, so I can actually talk now. Um, <laughs> it, it, actually, I would think that it benefits Paper Magic yeah. greatly because you get the chance to play the decks before you have to go shell out the money. So you can be like, oh, I don't like the way this deck interacts. I'm not going to spend $10 on this card. Or, oh, I really like this deck. I'm, I'm going to go build it right now, and I'm going to go play it at my local game store. So I think it's really good for Paper Magic. Yeah. I think one of the things, though, that people um, will say about it, and I, I, I'm, I, I'll go a half and half, maybe 60-40 on this, is that you aren't able to test your decks first. Um, you know, like you can go to an LGS and use your proxies and say, hey, can somebody help me test this out? And 99% of the time, there's going to be somebody that's willing to sit down and help you test out your deck when you're using proxies. You can't do that with Arena, right? Um, you, you spend all your wild cards on this deck that you don't know if it's going to work or not. Um, and then you're stuck with it until you're able to get that money or get the new wild cards by playing that deck enough times to get the coins and gems and whatever to get new wild cards to test out a different deck. Uh, which, which is, for me, the main downside of the arena is not being able to test your stuff. Now, if they came out with, like, this limited, not limited, like, the format, but this limited playable area within arena where it's kind of like the normal play feature, where it is ranked, um, where you can go in and play with these different cards, um, and you're able to use it for a limited amount of time and test out that deck, then I think that would be a really cool feature to have. Um, obviously... Uh, you, Watsi, wouldn't want you to keep going and playing those cards. So there should be like some sort of time limit or a certain amount of times you're allowed to go into that feature and use each specific card uh, to play with. Um, obviously, the idea needs to be worked on, but I, I think that would be kind of a cool thing. What do you? What would you guys think about that? Like a training center almost, you know? What I mean? yeah. It's like a casual area where you have access to, even if they just want to keep it like, you know, a single format, like maybe not, like, you know, don't do historic and don't do modern like okay we, we you can get access to all the, the cards that are currently in standard and then you can try out standard decks and see what you like because yeah, i'm sure it'd be, sure be a lot less programming and stuff like that if they did it that way so i i think it's a very very good idea yeah i'm and surprised they haven't done something like that yet yeah and then obviously don't offer rewards for that play there even less no, of course not yeah full-on casual yeah just full-on people being able to play test stuff um Maybe you have something like every 24 hours, you can go into that room once and test something. Maybe not card specific, maybe just time specific based on how long you've been in that room or how many times you've been in there, right? Uh, but, you know, that's just random talk. I, I like the idea. Uh, Isaac, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um, you know, I, I started playing Magic before Arena was even a thing. So, you know, I, I did download Arena to play a little bit, but... I didn't get that much into it, but I know for new players, it's really, really fun, and it's a great way to... I know that Arena is a really good way for new players to get their feet wet into the game. Um, I have played with my cousins who are just starting out, and uh, they said that they'd really be interested in uh, doing paper once everything clears up. Uh, so... Yeah, I think uh, it's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, 
I, I, I love most parts of Arena, and I, I hate some parts. I think that's kind of with everybody. I've taken a break from playing it recently just because I, I get very competitive, and then I'll, like, rage quit, and then uh, then I'll be upset the rest of the day. So I'm just taking a break from that, <laughs> uh, especially because right now I'm in the job process, and I need, you know, a healthy state of mind uh, to find the job that I want to get and be able to be successful in the field of tech-related things. It's a very competitive field to go into as an entry-level job. So um, I'm trying to, you know, have a good mindset, which I'm sure you listeners, I'm sure you guys here understand as well. Uh, but in the future, I'm planning on making more arena videos and doing stuff like that. Um, yeah, that's it for this segment. Peddler is just going to tell us a little bit about himself, if you haven't already heard. Uh, he's just going to tell us, you know, uh, who he is and what he does. Go ahead. Yeah, so I am MTG Peddler. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. And my channel is primarily, you know, it's it's box breaks. It's lots of collector's box. Uh, I do cover spoiler season. So once the spoilers are going to start with Kaldheim, I'll have like, you know, little news, MTG-related news, all that fun stuff. And I do a ton of giveaways on the channel. I actually just gave away a uh, collector's box of Commander Legends to uh, one of my lucky subscribers. So oh, nice. all my, uh, yeah, all my giveaways are for only for subscribers. So just, hey. If you feel like watching some packs being open, just kind of hanging out, having a good time. I do live streams sometimes too, like kind of like Q and A's and just general hangout sessions. You know, we just sit around and talk magic. It's a lot of fun. So yeah, MTG Peddler on YouTube. Check it out. Yeah, and I know you recently you hit 1,000 subscribers not too long ago, right? Yeah, uh, I hit 1,000. It's geez, I want to say yeah, about a couple weeks ago now, and it, which is amazing. I mean, yeah, congrats. Well, I thank you so much. I mean, I've been doing it for nine months. And I started, I had five subscribers for probably like the first three months. And one of those was my wife and one of them was my mom. I was not going anywhere, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I stuck with it. Uh, I started getting some traction and I caught a very lucky break with Zendikar rising. I ended up getting a collector's box uh, 10 days prior to release. Oh, so nice. it was me. Yeah. It was me and one other channel that had uh, a YouTube video up. And that was, we were the only two people on earth that had a YouTube video up with Zendikar Rising collector's boxes. And it was like that for four days before anyone else started joining the party. So I managed to get like 600 subscribers. It was basically over the course of a weekend. It was insane. So yeah, it's been pretty awesome. Yeah, it's been tough because I, I still answer every single comment individually. I talk to a lot of my subscribers via Discord, via Facebook. All, I, I talk to everyone. So it, it's getting harder because there's a lot of people now. It's A thousand people isn't a lot in the terms of YouTube, but it's a lot for me. That's a lot of people. So yeah. it, it's, it's fun. It's, it's challenging. And I, I just really enjoy it. And I try to make it just a you know, pleasant, fun experience. And just, it's, all, it's all about having fun and, and talking magic. Yeah, it's hard to interact with a lot of people. I completely understand what you mean. Uh, like, we have the followers with the Cryptic Commander, right? I talk to a decent amount of people for that. Um, I I admin and mod multiple Facebook groups. Um, uh, as many of our listeners know, I'm a disabled activist. Uh, one of the groups I mod, uh, we actually recently just hit 70,000 members. Um, That's a lot of people. Yeah, so I probably get, like, over a 1,000 um you know word things per day and people that i have to talk to luckily our mod and admin team is fairly large i think we have 10 to 15 people and so i'm lucky there but i do a lot of the work for it i, I completely understand what you're talking about how hard it is to interact with so many people but it's it can be very time consuming too um, but i'm very oh, lucky absolutely. That I have a very good team 
Um, also, shout out to my Hate Free Magic the Gathering group on Facebook. Um, I have an awesome admin team there. Uh, those of you who have been listening to our podcast for a while know the Sliver Hive. Uh, he actually just joined us as a moderator, and Isaac just joined us as a moderator as well. Um, so we're growing quite a good team there. Um, and I have a very awesome team. I love everybody in it. Uh, a lot of people like to hear about, you know, reality, like what, what's going on in our lives as human beings, not just about magic, right? So uh, I thought it'd be good what, to talk about like what we did over Thanksgiving and this weekend so far. Well, it's only Saturday, so I guess this morning. <laughs> um, so what, starting off with you, Pebbler, what did you do? Um, it was actually very, very quiet Thanksgiving over, over with us. We had uh, just me and my wife. And we just kind of hung out. I cooked dinner. We just hung around the house. We got a little, little chores done that we've been meaning to do. Hung out with the cats. Ate way too much. Fell asleep way too early. And then we woke up on uh, yesterday, Friday, and did the same exact thing. We had uh, all of our leftovers from <laughs> Thanksgiving. And it was just really, really nice. Nice, quiet uh, holiday. Yeah. What about you, Isaac? Um, similar to me, I woke up around 7 and then eight, and then 8.30, because my sleep schedule is terrible. But anyway, um, beginning in the morning, I watched the uh, Thanksgiving parade, which I'm glad still happened, because I look forward to that all year long. Um, and after that, I watched the dog show that was going on. And then, of course, Sci-Fi was having their uh, annual, can't even say that, because they do it like once a month, their monthly, Harry Potter marathon, and so I watched some of that, and then my mom uh, made uh, enough food to feed probably between 25 to 30 people, and there were only five of us. So even now, two days after, there's tons of leftovers. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, I feel like on normal days when I've been over at your place before, uh, your mom makes a whole bunch of food, and like enough to feed an army, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's never a bad thing, though. Exactly. No, it's never a bad thing. Better to make too much than too little. Anyway, Absolutely. Um, yesterday, Black Friday, I uh, did a little bit of shopping. In fact, I got one of my new prints in for my room, which is a Samurai Symbiote, which I love. Um, I didn't really do much yesterday either. Kind of the same stuff. Uh, I did have a final due last night, though, and I'm a bit miffed at my professor for that, but, you know, that's besides the point. And then today, uh, I haven't done much either, just watched more Harry Potter on sci-fi, and, um, yeah, that's about it. Nice. Uh, I guess it's my turn. Uh, my sister and her boyfriend came over. Don't worry. We both of our families, we, we quarantined for two weeks beforehand. And it was just my sister and her boyfriend came over. Um, he actually brought me uh, two battle packs of Jumpstart. Uh, we, neither of us had played Jumpstart before. And so it was very exciting. I think it was like an early birthday present for me. Um, for anybody who wants to send me a birthday present next week, it's uh, birthday's on Friday. Just kidding. Uh, I know I know you sent me one, Isaac. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. I, I'm just making a joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, although, Peddler, I expect you to send me something. Oh, um, of course. Uh, it's already in the mail. Uh, awesome. Appreciate it. Um, Black Lotus, right? Uh, signed by me, from, unfortunately, but it's signed. From Alpha? Yes. 
awesome, sweet. You desecrated an alpha black lotus just for me. I appreciate it. Um, but, uh, yeah, we played some Jumpstart. Uh, we ate a bunch of food like everybody else did. Um, my mom and my sister both made homemade pies. Uh, my mom made a homemade pumpkin pie. My older sister made a homemade uh, cherry pie. I don't, norm I don't normally like cherries, but I liked her pie. It was really nice. Um, but yeah, that was kind of it. We played some Jumpstart. Ate a lot of food. Uh, we watched uh, Tokyo Drift. Um, my little sister um, is obsessed with Fast and Furious. Uh, I love Tokyo Drift. I think it's probably my favorite Fast and Furious movie. Really? It's the one with like the worst acting. Eh, I don't know. I just I have a thing for Japan. Just saying. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, that was kind of it. That was kind of it for me. Pretty pretty chill too. Uh, Still sounds great though. Yeah, no, it was awesome. I love Jumpstart. I have, I'm officially in love. Too sad it's so expensive. <laughs> it is uh, very expensive. Yeah. And then uh, somebody wanted us to talk about Secret Lair. Uh, we got Speaking of expensive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got Bob Rosslands coming out. Uh, yes, please and thank you. We have what lands coming? Bob Rosslands. So Watsy decided to take his artwork and slap it on some basic lands. That is probably one of their best decisions ever. So we're getting some of the $30 basic lands, guys. How do you feel? Oh, give, uh, I, I'm I mean, going to buy 10. I'm buying 10 of them. I mean, I remember um, when you and I were in high school, Matt, and we it was like the last day of school before winter break, and we had that um, on one of the unsets just came out. And I opened a foil full art on planes. Oh, yeah. I just decided to keep because I thought it was cool. But then I later found out it was worth $60. So, you know, um, I, I would love one of those lands just because I love Bob Ross. May he rest in peace. Oh, and I, I love lands. I mean, one of one of my goals that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to collect every single basic land that was ever printed. And I am a big Bob Ross fan as well. And let me tell you, there's a lot of lands in, in this game. <laughs> there's a lot. And, and many of them are very expensive. But th this secret layer is like right up my alley. I was so psyched when I heard this, like, I guess spoiled a couple weeks ago. And then when it was made official, I was like, yep, I'm, I'm buying it. Yeah, I, one of my goals is to own one of every card in Magic. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, that'd be uh, awesome. You know? One day I'll be rich enough. I think. Yeah, it's not um, not being rich. It's it's being patient. As long as you're patient, you can you can accomplish anything. That is very true. But being rich doesn't hurt. That's that that is also true. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I don't know. You are the one that wanted us to talk about long term investment for secret layers and you know what our opinions and expert you know or my expert opinion on that is i, I did because i'm still relatively new to the world of secret layers because like i said i've been back in magic for nine ten months now so i didn't even know they were a thing and then so i'm just kind of curious like like what, what 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 are your opinions on the long-term investment um uh opportunities with the secret layer so i think there's there there could be multiple things so the secret layers being reprinted can reduce the price at the beginning right uh, we, we've seen that before with you know this super summer drop um but 
one of the things I do notice, uh, or have noticed, I guess would be the correct grammar, is that uh, the attention is drawn uh, to these unique cards, and there's only a very, very limited amount of them printed, right? Uh, and you only get a certain amount of time to purchase these. Um, that's why it draws in so many people, and so many people do end up buying them. Um, so I think long term, uh, sealed is going to be your best bet. If you keep it sealed, um, I feel like long term, it's going to be very, a very, very lucrative investment in the future, especially for the fetch lands um, mm. that recently that came out. Right, um, I think it was either right before or after the super summer drop. I don't remember, uh, but that. That one is a very good investment. Uh, I think in general, just anything that's sealed from secret layers is going to jump very high up because a lot of these people are opening these secret layers um, to sell the single cards themselves separately because uh, you can make a decent amount of money doing that. Um, mm. Or at least you were able to before. Uh, people, people were doing that. Uh, so yeah, that, that's just my opinion on them. Uh, there. There hasn't really been a there. Secret layers haven't been around long enough to truly know what they're going to act like in the future. It's very true. It's very similar to collectors' boxes. On that same note, we just don't know yeah. long term. There is no long term on those yet. Exactly. There, there's no really any way to say it. But my my guess is that they'll rise in value over time, just like any other collectible, um, any other sealed box that somebody has. Yeah, it's kind of like the the way my brain was thinking too. Like I was like, yeah, I, I can see these, you know retaining or or adding value uh as time goes by especially like you said they're only available for what like two weeks something like that yeah exactly and they they don't get reprinted at least not yeah, yet it's crazy that's true not yet that's a very good good way to word it not yet yeah it's always possible you never know with what see um and then isaac you have anything to add to that uh no not really <laughs> okay. I, I, I'm very charismatic. I know. <laughs> I'm very... also, I'm also really excited about the party hard shred harder one. I, oh I, my like, goodness! Yes, that that looks intense. I, I would say out of all five of them, the, what do we have? We have the box of rocks, the Seb McKidden one, uh, the Bob Ross one, the squirrels, and the party hard. Oh, those cards look look ridiculous. Yeah, no, they I really want those. Look sick. Yeah, I don't care if you're a metal fan or not. I'm not really a metal fan. I just think those the artwork is awesome. Oh yeah, I I, I mean I, I like metal a lot, but that's not the reason I like the cards. I like the cards for strictly their appearance. I think they just look really really cool. Because I'm I'm actually going to buy the the bundle bundle the big boy because there's four of them that I want and four of them that I, I could live without. So I think yeah, I'll keep four and then either sell four or hold on to them and see if they retain value over time. So the big boy's going to buy the big boy. Gonna buy the big boy. Why not? <laughs> exactly. Well, the way I look at it, like I was gonna buy uh, four of them, and I did the math, and it was like one hundred and thirty dollars for the oh. four that I wanted. I'm like, I can just spend an extra ninety bucks, and I'll get all of them. And and who knows? Maybe they'll throw in some like you know some bonus for buying the the bundle bundle. Yeah, that makes sense. They've done that in the past. Yeah. So you just never know. So I was like, hey, no, I'll spend the extra ninety bucks. Whatever. I, I can sell two of them and probably make that ninety dollars back, and I still have two sealed, and then the four I want. Yeah. Makes complete sense. All right, and moving on to the next one, uh, we had somebody today ask us, uh, or ask me in particular, uh, how I deck build. Like, what is my beginning process to start building a deck? I know, uh, Peddler, this is not really gonna be your thing because you're very much a limited player. 
Uh, yeah, I can help out though. I'll, I'll try. Yeah, you, do your you best. Do your best. No pressure. Well, there's only a few hundred people listening. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess I'll start off here. My process is the deck building. Obviously, I choose the colors I want to play. Um, the colors I want to play are based on my mood, really. I just randomly start building decks, literally what my mood is based on. Uh, I don't know if anybody else uh, can attend, you know, can say that they do that too, uh, but that's just how I build decks. When I'm angry, like the deck I was talking about earlier, the vintage deck, I wasn't really angry. I was just very charismatic and passionate about a topic that came up um, late last night. Uh, and I was like, I'm going to build this deck and I'm going to crush my foes. Um, so I built a you know, casual and cool deck that crushed my foes. And it, the person I was playing against, I wasn't even the one that I, I had a debate with, but I crushed him in Magic anyway. It was fine. He's going to be, he's going to listen to this later like, I hate you, Matt. Um, uh, uh, you're welcome, AJ. But uh, like I said, it's based off my mood. Uh, the first thing I do is I focus on my land base. Uh, I, I don't really specifically focus on dual lands or any stuff like that. I mean, I use dual lands, of course, and all the other stuff I have, but I focus based on what the colors are needed, um, what combo pieces are going to go into my deck, and kind of the main theme around my deck. Uh, so I guess you could say if my main theme was landfall, then I'd want as many fetch lands as possible, right? Um, and that's how I'd start off with a crap ton of fetch lands. Um, I would go into a bunch of search. Uh, which What was the card you were talking about earlier that was Portal Three Kingdoms? Uh, oh, three, three visits. Yeah, something like that. I'd put in three visits and just put, you know, uh, find whatever goes along with that theme, which is landfall. Put the landfall creatures in, uh, you know, like that. And one of the things that AJ and I were talking about earlier is, so I have nothing really against net decking, okay? Um, net decking is a great way for people who don't have the time to find a deck to play with it, right? Um, the thing that I have noticed as of late, um, especially in this past year or so, is people aren't learning how to play their decks anymore. Um, they just grab a deck and sit down and start playing with it, which is great and all if you work 24-7 and um, you don't really have the time to learn, but the, that's kind of the way how magic is going is um, in order to be competitive, you can't just expect to sit down and play a deck. You have to learn the mechanics behind it and how that deck works. So that's why I like deck, that's why in deck building, um, you need to do your research on how those themes and the combos work that you want to use. Like Isaac spent multiple years building that uh, that Elusha deck that he constantly talks about. So he oh, knows yes, the ins and outs of it. What? I said, yes, I have. Yeah, he knows exactly the ins, of out, the ins and outs of it because he didn't just take an online list. He took an online list and made it better. Uh, and he I, made it I, his speaking own. Speaking of which, I'm actually bringing up a deck list now because it's going to be my second one in a minute. Nice. And I, it dropped in price. That is. Uh, and so I think one of the main things is, and for those people out there who play arena is please spend five, 10 minutes, just going through your deck, learning how the different cards interact with each other. Cause that's how you get from being a good player to being a great player. Um, and I'm going to take that up. I'm going to take that up one more level, Matt. Yeah. Um, not only do you need to know your deck inside and out, you need to know what you're going up against. If yeah. you're playing in standard, you should know the top three decks and what they do, what their key cards are, the stuff you got to look out for. What like like what's going to beat you in this game? And that way, so you know how to play against it too. That that's equally as important as knowing yep. your deck inside and out. No, I completely agree. Um, 
knowing your opponent's deck. I I, I would even go to th- as far to say as is even more important. Um, because you can be you can be a good player and just have somebody slap a deck down in front of you. Um, but if you and if you know your opponent's deck, you can still beat that based on the card your first draw, right? You could be like, okay, I know exactly what's in my opponent's deck. I know exactly what to do to play around that, but I don't even know what my deck is supposed to do. So if you're able to play around what your opponent does, even though you don't know what your deck does, you can still win. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Isaac, anything you want to add to that? Well, you know, yeah, you do need to know. Uh, what you're playing against because if you don't then it's kind of just pointless because you know you, you won't know when to strategize when to put something out or not so yeah you, you yeah. need to just know what you're up against yeah yeah whenever i whenever i'm playing magic and i and they, they pass turn and i see mana up in my head i'm already thinking okay what has this what has a converted mana cost of three or less that i need to worry about on this turn yeah, exactly. you know what it's, it's that that's all that, that's what's going on in my head. I'm I'm not even worried about what I'm doing. I'm I'm already thinking like what's going to happen here and how am I going to respond to that if and when it happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess Peddler, my question to you would be, uh, when you're drafting, what is your process in building the perfect deck? Oh man, I, d- drafting is such a unique animal in the way you play it. It's like for me, it's always removal in draft. Like I, I'm looking. In my first pack, do I have solid removal? That that is going to be my go-to. I will build around my colors off of, if I get premium removal, that's where I'm going. It doesn't matter what else is in that pack. I'll take a, a, a common that is amazing removal over like a mythic rare creature any day of the week, depending on the creature, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 would, I would first pick a dream trawler, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's all about getting that removal because in lim- like it's, it's limited there's just such a limited amount you can do with what you have and it gets harder to replenish your board if your opponent has the removal and has the counters and has the ability to deal with what you're putting up there eventually you just run out of gas mm-hmm. so that, yeah. that, that's to me that that to me is is, is premium that, that is the key to building a good draft deck yeah exactly no i completely agree that's what I started getting good at drafting because I was really terrible at limited. Uh, and then right when, you know, everything came down uh, and everything got shut down is when I started getting good at drafting. Um, <laughs> and it really Perfect sucked. Timing. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I'm getting good at this. I, I just won my first draft tournament. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do great next Friday. Uh, and then no, I wasn't going to. Um, uh, I think for me, the main thing, like, what Peddler says is if you have the removal, it doesn't matter if you have one creature in your deck. If your opponent has nothing and you have a 5-5 that you're able to play and your opponent can't do anything about, you can just kill them in four turns and just keep removing and countering the stuff they have. It doesn't really matter the creatures you have as long as you can get as long as you can deal with what your opponent's doing. Um, and I, for me, that's the most important part of drafting. Absolutely. And also under, just understanding uh, the, the environment you're in. It's mm-hmm. if, if you're if you want to become solid at drafting, one, it takes a lot of practice. And yep. you just have to be just, just keep practicing. Just keep even if you're going zero and three, it doesn't matter. Just play every game like you're about to win a, a like a huge tournament. Just just play hard, but just you know just understand what cards are in the deck in in the set that you're drafting. That way, so you, you know, okay, I have this, and this is gonna be, if I can find one of these, you know, this is gonna pair really really well together and be very hard for my opponent to deal with. Yeah, it, so it, it took that, me, that too. Yeah, it took me six years since I had started playing Magic to win my first draft. Um, I mean, part of that was not having the money as a young teenager be, to be able to draft. Uh, 
with all the partners, you know, having to learn all that stuff. Um, and then once I once I started getting the money and being able to draft, then I was like, hell yes. And I just started, you know, playing draft after draft after draft and getting better and better and better. So for those out there who suck at drafting, like myself, uh, go out there and not right now. I'm not condoning any type of interpersonal, re uh, you know, interactions. Please don't. Um, what I am saying is when you're able to, or if you're drafting on arena, please do it. Um, when it's safe, go out in person, draft your heart out um, and get good. Literally get good. Um, I believe drafting is an important aspect of learning deck building as well. Just general constructed deck building. Because once you're, once you become an ace at drafting, you're going to become an ace at just about anything else in magic. Like that, honestly, drafting probably is one of the hardest things to accomplish being good at in the game. I, I agree with that because it's just so random. You don't have that time to prepare. You're just there in that moment and the, the packs are being handed at you. It's, a, it's like, oh man, I got to pick a card. You know, it's, it, it's, in, it's in the moment, it's spontaneous and it's just having a very, very good understanding of the mechanics. Exactly. And knowing what the cards are in that set before you go into the draft. Absolutely. That, that is important. That is key. I, when I got back into the game, it was right before uh, Theros Beyond Death, and I was looking at the cards online, and so I was like, well, I'm going to draft, because I remember how drafting used to be back in 2000, 2007, 2008, and I was like, all right, I know what I need to look for, and I went my first time back in, I won, I went 3-0 in my first draft back, and I was like, okay, yeah, I can do this. I, I, I remember how to do this, but it's just I, I did my homework beforehand. I probably did a week's worth of research before I step foot in the local game store to play just yeah. so I'd be ready. Yeah. Isaac, anything else you want to add? Um, I mean, I don't draft that often just because, well, you know, I didn't have the money to do it in anyway, but, um, I guess my strategy just because I, I just go off of the first layer of the first pack that I open, and then I build off of whatever that card is. Uh, it may not be the best thing to do, but I have actually found that it's won me in games, just because I am spontaneous when I draft. Building decks, like actually spending time and building decks on my own, without having the pressure of, you know, you got to pass, you know, the car, the decks or the, the packs to your right or to your left. That is my strong suit. Because if I have the time to actually think about what I'm putting into the deck, then uh, my decks are very formidable and are a force to be reckoned with. But because that's not the case in draft, you know, I don't always do so well. Um, <laughs> I open it a lore of the unknown and man, I'm going to play it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's how I used to draft. Uh, yeah, and then I got good. Sorry, Isaac. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I think that's going to do it for the podcast tonight, guys. Uh, are there anything else? Is there anything else that you guys would like to add before you say goodbye? I just, well, I just hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving and, you know, stay safe out there and just continue to enjoy life and play magic. Isaac? Um, yeah, what he said. Um, yeah. Just, you know, um, stay safe, 
keep enjoying doing what you're doing. Um, and looking forward to uh, seeing you all next week, hopefully. Yeah, no, it was great having you here, uh, both Peddler and Isaac. Uh, thank you, both of you, for taking up the mantle last minute's notice. It was great having you here again. Peddler, like I said, you are a fan favorite and one of my favorites. Um, sorry, Isaac. All, always a pleasure to be on. Always a pleasure. You, you call me if I'm not doing anything, I'll be on. Exactly. No, we love having you here. It's great. Uh, if you haven't, go subscribe to MTG Peddler on YouTube. He's a great guy. Like I said, one of my favorites. Uh, love watching him crack packs. Uh, and I guess that's all for tonight. Uh, don't forget to share this podcast if you like us. Uh, get, give us any feedback on the Cryptic Commander on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram as well. Uh, we're well over 100 subs- Sorry, almost some subscribers. I meant to say followers uh, on Instagram. Uh, and we're, we're moving up there. We're going to be doing uh, a Christ- uh, Christmas giveaway, I believe is going to be our next giveaway. So stay tuned to hear about that. And uh, keep on spell slinging. <laughs>